Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. Good morning, witches. It is February 16th, 2024. It is Friday. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Witch Way Magazine. So let's get your day going with a little magic. Our quote of the day is, Scarcity of self-value cannot be remedied by money, recognition, affection, Tension or Influence by Gary Zukav. So let me tell you, I really vibe with this, right? As an Aries, I love to do things and I love to go, 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 go. And I wake up with the energy of a thousand suns and have a lot of friends like that too, right? Who always just wants to do the next project, the next project, the next project. And it dawned on me one day, I never stop and appreciate the success of the projects I've done, right? The things I've succeeded at. And why that's a problem is because if you're only ever worried about what comes next, you're never going to be happy. It's like happiness is always one project away. You know what I mean? So I've really tried to remind myself to stop and appreciate what I've done, how far I've come, and to be excited about the future to be content with the now. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. And I think when we're only ever worried about how we're perceived, how other people value us, or valuing ourselves by our work, we're never going to find satisfaction because it's always the next project away, you know? Anyways, great quote by uh, Gary Zukav. All right, moving into some headlines. Oh, no, we're doing Jasmine. So, yes, we've done history, lore, medicinal, magical. So I wanted to share a recipe. And this is from BudgetBites.com, yellow jasmine rice. Classic. So it's pretty standard. It's yellow rice and it's jasmine. But it's one of my favorites. And basically all you need is two tablespoons of butter, two garlic cloves minced, one teaspoon of turmeric, one fourth teaspoon of cumin, one eighth teaspoon of cinnamon, two bags of uncooked long grain jasmine rice, three cups of chicken broth, and one bay leaf. And you've got jasmine yellow rice. Yum. Now, is there actual jasmine in that? No. Is it delicious? Yes. And it comes out to like $2 for six portions. And I love a deal. So. There we go. All right, witches. Moving into some headlines. This comes to us from theguardian.com, written by Jonathan Jones. Dr. Terror deals with the death card. How tarot was turned into an occult obsession. Ooh, this is going to be a long one, so I'm just going to touch on it briefly, and if you're interested in hearing the rest, I'll link to it in the link tree. So, 
1965's film Dr. Terror's House of Horrors is very standard tarot fare. Many people use cards to tell the fortune or to meditate and find mindfulness. In any occult shop, you'll find a huge selection of decks, just in time for Christmas, traditionally a great time for card games. A famous pack, the Rider Waite deck, is a oh is being reissued by Tashin, complete with a Waite booklet explaining the supposed mystical roots of tarot and the symbols and what they all mean. So... It says the world's most popular tarot, which I would agree. The Coleman Smith weight deck is by far. So this belief in tarot as a reveler of hidden truths is not the survival of some ancient tradition. It's a modern idea grafted on to something that was originally intended to be fun. Tarot is a card game played in a fairly, rec fairly recognizable way with the players laying down a card to compete for the highest value in a series of tricks. But with 20 or so ornate pictures, depending on the set, to complicate the scoring. These were so beautifully crafted, so vis visually splendid, that their designs now obsess and befuddle people centuries after it was played by Renaissance courtiers. So, yes, a lot of people don't know this. There was actually a debate recently saying that if anyone who was not of Italian heritage used tarot, it was considered cultural appropriation. Now, um, if you know anything about the history of tarot, you'll know that that's just not quite true. Uh, tarot did originate, the, the game originated in um, uh, Renaissance Italy, right? And it looks completely different, and it was just a silly little card game, like solitaire or whatever, right? It wasn't until... This deck of cards hit the occultists in Germany and France. Did uh, Ryder, Waite, and Smith get a hold of it and turn it into a cult thing? So that is when it became kind of used by occultists and used to read fortunes. So this is why I talk about why learning is so important. And I've said on here that I worry that people care less and less about knowledge, um, you know, in our current media sphere. But when you know, you can debunk kind of trendy claims that go viral. You know what I mean? So when I saw that claim, I was like, nope, that's not true because that's just not the history of tarot. Um, People of Italian heritage weren't read weren't reading tarot how we read it today. It was not used how we use it today. It was just a game, you know. So, no, it's not cultural appropriation because that culture wasn't doing that, right? So, when you know these things and know the history and know the influence and know the history of occultism and witchcraft and secret societies and all that, when you learn that stuff, it's you're less likely to jump on, you know, the bandwagon of a 20-year-old on TikTok. You know what I mean? So, yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Tarot, while the game, and it was kind of meant, if I remember correctly, it was kind of meant to make fun of those in charge. It was just a card game. And the pictures were absolutely beautiful. The original tarot uh, pictures, which I think you might be able to Google. Um, I forget the name of the imagery. But it wasn't until the deck spread, as they as 
a lot of things do. Foods, games, spread. When it got to Germany and France and the occultists got a hold of it, that's be, that's when it changed from a game used to kind of make fun of people in charge to a divination deck. So, yeah, it's very interesting. And that is why a lot of the original schools of witchcraft would have their day and a year students or year and a day, year and a day students and create a tarot deck uh, as a part of their curriculum uh, because it uh, they're the ones who kind of made it into what we know it today. So that is why it's important to know history. Anyways, what just... <laughs> I'm going to throw this over to our moon correspondent, and after this break, we will talk more. Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Friday, February 16th. The first quarter moon moves from the lush greenery of Taurus to the superhighway of Gemini today. Here, the moon trines the Venus-Pluto conjunction. This is the first time that Venus is crossing Pluto since Pluto moved into Aquarius. With this conjunction, we'll start to see the themes develop around our new way of digging into the social constructs in which we live. We don't often think about the social dynamics that surround us, the power structures and the internal connections. This conjunction, along with the trine to the moon, highlights our relationship to the whole. It might be time to consider if we like how we relate to society at large. Do we enjoy the space we inhabit, or would we like to reconfigure the space to fit our own ideals? The most likely scenario is that we're starting to grow out of our current social paradigm and that this conjunction will show us the potential for the new one. Keep an eye out and think about how you'd like to develop the themes that start to show up today. Your daily moon mantra is, power concedes nothing without an organized demand. This has been your Daily Moon Mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny. Revolution of a Witch is a prompt journal made for witches by witches. Do you believe in good versus evil? What three items would be used to summon you? Who has been the most impactful person in your practice? These questions are meant to not only help you think about life from new perspectives, but to elevate your magic as well. Whether you want to write your responses and move on, or use this journal as a jumping off point for future conversations with friends, Evolution of a Witch is a judgment-free space for you to share your thoughts and ideas. Evolution of a Witch by best-selling author Tanya Brown is available for order online at your local bookshop or wherever books are sold. All right, we are back. So we are doing Encyclopedia Day today. For those of you who don't know, Encyclopedia Day is a Friday that basically isn't part of a series where we bust open my book of occultism and parapsychology and we see if we find anything fun. And today I found something that I thought would be really cool to look at. And it is out-of-body experiences. So I tend to call out-of-body travel astral projection. That is typically what I refer to it as. Could be completely wrong. And we're about to find out. So the belief that individuals can leave their physical bodies during sleep or trance and travel to distant places in an etheric or astral counterpart is a very ancient one. It was an important part of early religious teaching that men and women are essentially spiritual beings 
incarnated for divine purpose and shedding the body at death, surviving in an afterlife or a new incarnation. Hindu teachings recognize three bodies, physical, subtle, causal. The causal body builds up the characteristics of one's next reincarnation by the desires and fears in present life. So those of you, if you've ever done a past life reading with me, I'll tend to talk about things you brought with you to your current life from a past life. And that is the causal body, right? But the subtle body may sometimes leave the physical body during lifetime and re-enter it after traveling in a physical world. The ancient Hindus were well aware of this phenomena of out-of-body travel, which features in such scriptures as Yogava Shinta. Um, ancient Egyptian teachings also represented the soul as having the ability to hover outside of the physical body in the Ka, or subtle body. But it was not until comparatively modern times that any detailed study of experiments in out-of-body traveling was published. This was the series of articles in the British journal The Occult Review from 1920 onwards by Oliver Fox, which was a pseudonym for Hugh Calloway. So later, the author of the pioneer book Astral Travel 1939. Meanwhile, an American experimenter, Sylvan J. Moldum, in collaboration with Carrington, published The Projection of the Astral Body in 1929. Calloway and Muldoon gave detailed first-hand accounts of consciously controlled and involuntarily journey, uh, journeys outside the body. Sometimes these involved appearances to other individuals or the obtaining of information which could not have been asserted otherwise. Such accounts were thus highly evidential. So I think we see this kind of shown in American horror story coven, but I might be incorrect. Certain techniques were described by both Calloway and Muldoon for facilitating the release of the astral or ethereal body from the physical body. These included visualizing such mental images as flying or being in an elevator traveling upwards just before going to sleep. Some involuntary releases occurred as a result of regaining waking consciousness while still in a dream condition. This was often stimulated by some apparent incongruity in the dream, such as dreaming of one's own room, but thinking, oh, I must be dreaming, but continuing in the dream state. Such awareness sometimes resulted in normal consciousness outside the physical body and being able to look down at your body. Those who have experienced astral projection describe themselves as joined to the physical body by a connection, rather like a physical umbilical cord or like psychic umbilical cord, and this would snatch the astral body back to the physical body if disturbed by fear. So some cases of astral projection have been reported as the result of uh, anesthetic or sudden shock. So I definitely believe I've astral projected before. And some pretty recently, but I would say f for me, it would kind of feel like I was floating. Like I was real. like I would really struggle to, like I would try to, if I tried to walk too humanly, I would fall back into my body. Does that make sense? 
it's really hard to explain unless you've felt it. So astral projection. Um, what else? Ooh, that feeling of when you're like you're kind of half awake, half asleep, and then you feel like you're falling, and then it feels like you bounce into your body. I am of the belief that that is a sign of uh, astral projection. So in spite of the great importance of the out-of-body experiences, both as a parapsychological phenomena and for its relevance to the question of survival after death, it did not receive the attention it deserved until recently, when the British scientist Dr. Robert Cookall published a number of books in which he cataloged and analyzed hundreds of cases of astral projection from individuals in all walks of life. It seems that the phenomena is much more widespread than generally is supposed, but some people are sensitive about discussing such experiences. Moreover, the majority of cases are of involuntarily projection and consciously controlled projection under laboratory, con uh, laboratory conditions is rare, which means like they really, really struggle to recreate this experience in a controlled setting. Uh, almost like when we talked about phantom telephone calls. Do you remember that? Where we talked about how people have or receive phone calls from the dead. You can't really replicate that in a lab. And, like, that's the problem we're seeing here. They're like, we can't really study it because we can't force it to happen. Dr. Cookall distinguishes between the physical body of everyday life and the vehicle of vitality in a soul body, connected by an, ex like an extension cord, essentially. Movement from one body to another is often accompanied by strange sounds and sensations. Click in the head, a blackout, or a journey down a long tunnel. The projector often sees his own physical body laying on the bed and sometimes the semi-physical vehicle of vitality is observed by other people. Dr. Kokal also cites instances of the strange condition of consciousness in which one sees a double of oneself. Sometimes the transition from the physical body appears to be assisted by helpers or even obstructed by hinderers. That's terrifying. That is insidious. That's Insidious. The movie, if you haven't seen it, I love it, but it's so scary. And that is what that sounds like. It's freaking me out. <laughs> Again, while much astral travel is in the world of everyday life, one sometimes moves in regions of otherworldly beauty or depression characterized by Dr. Kokal, Paradise Condition, or Hades Condition. Here, one sometimes encounters friends and relatives who died, or even angelic and demonic beings. They return to the physical body and is often accompanied by, like, loud, booming effects. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out. I feel like we're all in a little lab together studying. Sometimes when I do um, medium sessions, so I'm in, so I'm a medium, but not trained, which means it is very loosey goose, very loosey goose, and I am not great at it. But I can do it. But sometimes when I'm in a meditative state, sometimes I'll be yanked out and I'll hear a loud boom. It almost sounds like the foundation's settling. Like it's a loud boom. And in the past, I'm, I've struggled. I'm like, was that a real boom or like a psychic boom? And I wouldn't be able to like differentiate. Um, so that's wild. Isn't it so crazy when you have an experience and you have for years and years and years? And then something validates it. And you were like, oh, gosh, I've asked people, I'm like, have you heard the boom? And like, no one knows what I'm talking about. And it's nuts that I'm seeing it like written here. 
That is so interesting. Prediction may be preceded by a condition of the body in which there are hypocognic illusions. So because of the close association of dreaming and hallucinations, many people have dismissed claims of -of out-of-body experiences as illusionary or mere dreams. But considerable evidence for the reality of astral projection has been collected by Dr. Cookall and other investigators. One of the most remarkable controlled experiments in astral projection was undertaken in 1934 by the medium Eileen Garrett when a test was set up between observers Dr. Mull in New York and Dr. Svesson in Iceland. Mrs. Garrett projected her astral body from New York to Iceland and acquired test information afterwards verified as correct. A case is described in her book, My Life as a Search for the Meaning of Mediumship, Although the time of the experiments were not named, in order to protect their anonymity, the Newfoundland was substituted. So, modern parapsychologists have now given special attention to the phenomena of out of body experiences, and sometimes it's just referred to as OBE, so you may have heard that before. A number of special terms were derived by Celia Green, director of the Institute for Psychosilical Research in Oxford, England. In a scientific study of approximately four individuals claiming to have out-of-body experiences, the general terms eschomatic was applied where objects of perception appeared organized in such a way that the observer seemed to observe from a point of view not in parallel with their physical body, which means that these people were able to view things from perspectives that their physical body was not able to. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, a Dr. Charles Tart would continue research into 1969. There is a suggestion that some subjects may have been able to manifest um, some effects while projecting. And the problem is, again, it's really hard to like measure these experiments. So, as with other laboratory experiments in parapsychology, OBE tests lack the incentive or intrinsic interest of um, experiences and accepted evidence. Yeah, it's really fascinating. This is uh, really interesting. I remember reading a book about out-of-body experiences when I was, like, in middle school. Um, But, yeah, really cool. So, yeah, out-of-body experiences. Have you had one? Have you astral projected? Are you really good at it? Uh, Let me know. I'm dying to know. Anyways, witches, I hope that was fun for you. (laughs) Sometimes as I'm doing these, I'm like, they don't like this. (laughs) This is fun. But I enjoy it because I'm a big old nerd. Uh, So we're wrapping up this episode of The Witch Daily Show. I want to give a shout-out to Ashley Solomon. Ashley, you playful, fancy banshee. Nessa S, you bombastic, charming vampire. Emily Cresswell, you sparkling, scrumptious woodland fairy. And Callisto Lowry, you sweet, mystical sun goddess. Thank you for so much for being Patreon supporters. I really appreciate you. And that's all I've got for you today. Don't forget any books, decks, headlines, sources. Anything we reference today can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpot.com. And we'll talk again tomorrow. Bye witches we hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence 
Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day. <laughs>